Welcome to the Banega Swasth India podcast. Our focus is on creating a holistic and healthy India for each and every one. Our goal is Lakshya Sampurna Swasthika, where citizens, individuals, society and governments work together to ensure health for all. I'm Ambika Singh Kama and today we will be talking about climate crisis, health and discussions that happened at COP27 to mitigate climate change. We have with us Neera Nandi, co-founder of Dasra, to talk about the same and a lot more. Thank you Neera for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Neera, we do know that there is a need for climate action to focus on the most vulnerable, to start from the first mile where the impact is felt most. How does one bring that lens of intersectionality in climate philanthropy and enhance community resilience against climate related shocks? You know, that's such a great question and there's so much excitement around COP27 and most of these COP convenings actually haven't looked at adaptation and haven't really looked enough at what does it take to really strengthen the community. I think what we're seeing here however is a bit of the narrative and the dialogue beginning to change, especially because a big focus for COP27 is really looking at loss and damage given that developing countries are experiencing this crisis. So is there a way for developed countries to support that. But what we're truly trying to do as Dasra and what we're trying to really push on climate action is exactly what you said. Can we invest in building resilience? See what we do is we're very reactive to the crisis, but are there ways of whether strengthening infrastructure, the way that we might address issues of disaster, how cities respond? It's actually the most vulnerable, those of li- us living in slums, those living in very dense areas that don't have infrastructure and support. They actually get affected you know the most so are there ways of initially response but ultimately strengthening their capacity to be able to respond to these disasters is the immediate place we're seeing some sort of traction what do you think some of the steps that india needs to take to ensure towards a climate resilient ecosystem specifically for india I think what we're excited about is that India and all of us are taking this a bit more seriously especially as the G20 presidency moves to India we will need to participate and have a seat at the table for some of these climate discussions. I think what's is we're seeing a lot more resonance is you know Modi ji just released the mission life Uh, and so some openness for us to participate as individuals and in how we address the demand side of addressing climate is a big part of you know that mission but i think there's still quite a lot of alignment needed as to who sacrifices what right for us to be able to be part of climate action and given we're not the biggest emitters and we're going to have such a young population with very strong aspirations I think there's big questions of is it really fair that our young people have to accommodate those aspirations. So I think it's redefining aspiration in a way that it can still align with bringing down the climate needs and the increase in temperature. And I think young people are probably the first generation that are willing you know to do that however all of that being said with you know economic opportunity the growth that this country will have how can we kind of be able to find that balance will be really important for us and will it again have to be the most vulnerable within india that actually have to compromise for that i think are big questions but that's really where we see the role of civil society 
Yes. And we see the role of local governance. So just investing with philanthropy and organizations to find where those gaps are, where is their real support needed, but also investing in local governance. So it's not going to be the central government that's going to actually solve this. It will be a combination of going up and down the full system to be able to support climate action. You did say how important it is for the civil society, you know, but tell us what steps do you think the civil society can change to enable climate change uh, and also help address the impact of the crisis and more specific, if any suggestions. So I think the biggest understanding we all have to have more of is how climate is interrelated, intersectional. It's not a standalone sector. Typically, how civil society gets labeled is like, I'm an NGO and I work in education. I'm an NGO and I work in health. Actually layering on how climate action is part of whether it's livelihoods, farmers, how they respond or be able to build that community and strengthen its resilience all the way to the intersectionality, you know, of health systems and climate. We had a huge experience through the pandemic of the need for strengthening health systems. Again, here you'll see health systems get actually quite into shock, especially when we have issues of climate related crisis. So strengthening different systems and a systems approach to climate action is really where we're saying there's a role of government, there's a role of private sector, and there's civil society. And, you know, ultimately, there's also a need for academics and a lot more data so that we can quickly respond to this. Absolutely. I think you've put that really well. Uh, Nira, what are the lessons uh, for philanthropy from the recent climate crisis in cities Uh, around flooding, disaster. So I think the most uh, exciting thing we're seeing in the work that, you know, we've been doing with the Gates Foundation, we're also going to be doing a lot more work with Rain Matter uh, Foundation that the Zero Thou Brothers have started, is actually investing at the municipality level, right, at the urban local bodies. How are you strengthening governance there? And how are you actually getting community to be represented there? So whether it's women, so actually investing in gender, investing in community to bring what their needs are. See, what happens is a lot of us decide what's needed for communities. What has to happen is there needs to be a strengthening of the community and a way that that gets bridges with bridge to ULB, where funding is needed and where action actually happens. So I think having bridging up and down, open communication, a better understanding of where gaps are through data, I think all of that is really a role that philanthropy can play is one part. And the other is strengthening civil society. I mean, we cannot underestimate the importance of community represented or organizations, NGOs that have been deeply embedded within communities for a number of years, whether working with farmers, you know, rurally or working in cities directly. I think all of that needs to actually be strengthened. How can we build a philanthropic ecosystem that understands and gives towards the need of the vulnerable getting really impacted by climate? Uh, What, according to you, are the critical steps that should be taken? So I think the biggest step is really about awareness and an understanding of how important climate actually is to everything that we do. And it's perhaps an equalizer of sorts, right? I think air pollution was one of the first times that everybody realized, oh, actually, there's common goods here or common spaces that we're all irrespective of where you come, you know, socioeconomically are going to impact it. And the biggest whammy was COVID, right? So I think we all now are beginning to understand 
understand how our lives are interrelated. It's no longer a group living in their ivory towers and condominiums being supported by those living in the slums. I think there's a greater awareness and a want to participate and try to figure out how do we bring more justice and equity into the system, given how much we all rely on each other and how not just India, but the world is interconnected and how therefore addressing issues of climate in its urgency will actually benefit not just India, but the world. And I think that's really where the interconnectedness comes in, but I think making it real. See, a lot of us have been part of this climate debate and you feel like, oh, it's intergenerational. Will it really matter? But I think if we can show concrete steps of how communities are engaging, how it affects us or really great innovative ideas, you're seeing a lot more technology investment in different parts of addressing issues around climate. I think all of that is going to help us all activate really what we need for climate action. Absolutely. I think, and like you rightly said, you know, the word interconnectedness is so important. Nina, just before we wrap up, I wanted to say, so what do you think are really the key points from COP27? I think the key points is this is just an initial conversation around loss and damage, but can we please remind ourselves that it isn't only going to be financing that's going to solve this. It's going to have to be real investment in community resilience. And actually, as Dasra, we're going to launch a community resilience initiative that actually begins to build a common agenda with civil society, government, and philanthropy to say, what does it mean to invest in building that resilience and having greater climate action? across different kinds of sectors. And that's not just an investment of money, but please don't take away that we don't need money. I mean, we need a tremendous amount of financing to be able to invest in climate. In fact, some of the numbers over here were something like, you know, in the last 20 years, we've had to spend about $80 billion has affected India by loss and damage of climate related, you know, and then we're saying we need another one and a half trillion in the next decade to address issues of climate that are going to affect this country. So by no means is this a small problem, but I think each of us, and that's the beauty of mission life, is that as an individual, we can all play a role, irrespective of how daunting it seems for us to really solve climate action and climate change. Absolutely. I think it really starts from us. Of course, like you rightly, you know, what you really explained well, that it's all about everybody doing it together. And uh, it was a pleasure speaking with you, Neera. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. That's it on the Banega Swasindya podcast this week. If you have comments, queries or suggestions on the topic we discussed today or issues you would like us to cover in future, do write to us on BSI podcast at the rate ndtv.com. Remember, BSI stands for Banega West India. You can also connect with us on Banega West India handles on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and continue the conversation through the week. Till next week, this is Ambika Singh Kama signing off. Stay healthy and stay safe.